Welcome to the Avenue Podcast, created and produced by Avenue Media. Join our discussions with the construction industry leaders to learn more about the state of the industry, current events, challenges, and the solutions that we can provide as a community. Today on the Avenue Podcast, we have the pleasure of welcoming Brett Henson. He's a partner at the Sarasota office of Shoemaker, Loop, and Kendrick. He's also board certified in construction law. We'll be discussing the 2022 legislative updates for the commercial construction industry. Glad to have you here, Brett. Thanks, Olivier. Uh, it's great to be a guest. Yeah, thank you. I'm glad you could come on board. Yeah, it's a great studio you guys have set up here and uh, look forward to talking with you about some of the new laws that impact uh, the commercial construction industry uh, here in the state of Florida. Absolutely. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about yourself for the listeners that may not know you? Sure. Um, so I practice in our Sarasota office of Shoemaker, Loop & Kendrick, uh, board certified in construction law. Uh, I handle both uh, construction disputes, uh, but also work with owners, contractors, and subcontractors uh, to prepare uh, construction contracts. Um, and you know, one of the things that um, we really focus on um, in our practice is trying to stay uh, on top of uh, the various changes to construction laws. Uh, sometimes that's through uh, through the court system, but it's also uh, oftentimes through uh, the Florida legislature. Uh, so you know, every um, every year uh, there is a process. Uh, typically, the legislative process ends uh, in March of any particular year, and once bills are passed, they go up to the governor uh, for review. And uh, this um, uh, July first, we learned of a number of new laws that will uh, be impacting the commercial construction industry. Awesome, thank you. So, can you tell us a little bit more about those new laws that are going to be impacting the construction industry? Sure. So, um, uh, there was one bill that was passed that was titled "Building Regulation," and uh, that bill addresses a number of different issues. Uh, one of which is the private provider inspection process. So, for listeners that are familiar with uh, private provider. Uh, essentially, a private provider uh, typically is an architect or an engineer or other certified building inspector, um, and they they perform the same type of function that a building official would perform as uh, it relates to reviewing plans for compliance of the Florida Building Code and also performing inspections uh, of work that takes place uh, during the course of any construction project. So can you tell us a little bit more about maybe why an owner would want to use a private provider inspection? Sure. They might elect to use one? Sure. So um, for any given project in the state of Florida, uh, there's going to be a local uh, authority that has jurisdiction over the project, also known as a building department. Uh, Some building departments are quicker than others when it comes to processing permit applications and performing inspections. Uh, Ultimately, uh, those, those two tasks uh, figure into the ultimate schedule and timing for completion of any construction project. So if you're dealing with a jurisdiction that's perhaps slow to process permit applications, slow to respond to requests for inspection, the owner might want to hire a private provider or have the contractor use a private provider to perform those sorts of, those sorts of services for the project. That makes sense. I mean, that's, it just seems like a much, uh, a much needed person in the in the entirety of the process. The other thing too that um, one of the unique aspects about using a private provider on any building project, and we'll oftentimes hear this from owners um, sometimes where disputes arise on a project is, well, can I sue the building department or can I sue the building official? They 
performed a bad inspection? And, and typically, the answer to that question is no. Uh, there's there's no recourse uh, for an owner of property in Florida that uh, has a has a problem with an inspection like that uh, to go after the building official. Uh, that's different though when you're talking about private providers because private providers um, are are private individuals or private entities that carry professional liability insurance. So there's also some added layer of protection that an owner uh, might receive if they're using a private provider on a, uh, on a construction project. So can you tell us a little bit more about how the Florida legislators, legislature seeked to streamline the private provider inspection process? Sure. So um, there were uh, a few different changes um, that the Florida legislature included in their building regulation bill. Uh, the first is uh, they really sought, it appears that they're really seeking to expand the private provider process in Florida. Um, one of the first things they did was um, expanding the eligibility requirements uh, for those that can receive an internship certification to serve as a private provider. So under the old law, uh, in order to receive, um, uh, in order to, to complete the required internship to become a private provider, uh, you had to complete that a four-year internship through uh, a building department or a local government under the supervision of a building official. So uh, not everyone is going to choose that career path, and there would be other qualified individuals that could um, have the technical knowledge and ability to provide the services of a private provider without working for a local government. So one of the first things this bill did is expand the category uh, of people that are eligible and now allows for people to complete that internship through the supervision of a private provider. So you don't just have to work for a building department. So why do you think the decision was made to expand this program? Um, I think that the, um, the decision was made in large part uh, because uh, members of the legislature realize that for any project, time is money. And the ability to expedite a project through the use of private providers. Um, and, and those are some of the other changes that we see in the bill. First, uh, the other thing is um, this bill expands uh, the ability of someone that is provisionally certified as a private provider to serve as the authorized representative of a private provider. So what does that mean? If a private provider is hired to do things like plans review or inspections, uh, they, they, the person that's actually certified, may not have the ability to go out into each and every one of those projects to lay eyes on the projects and do an inspection. So someone that is provisionally certified, meaning that they meet the requirements to become a private provider but have not yet sat for the test to receive the license to become a private provider, can perform those same services under the supervision of someone that is licensed. So that's another example of, I think, the legislature um, really sort of um, opening this program up to make it more accessible. The other thing is oftentimes, um, you know, building departments or local governments um, might enact certain laws at the local level that arguably uh, could be um, viewed to interfere with the use of a private provider. So uh, the statute uh, previously provided a definition that allowed for a building department to impose a reasonable administrative fee. Uh, for uh, projects that use private providers. And what the statute, the new law does is actually define what that fee is. Uh, that, fee ha that fee now has to be uh, tied to the actual costs incurred by the local building department for the administration and clerical duties associated with processing permits. But building departments can impose additional fees that might be uh, intended to discourage 
owners or contractors from using private providers. Um, and then the other thing is um, the law now gives an express right to equal access for records. So if you are a private provider and you need to go to the building department and get public records related to a project, there is now a specific provision in Florida statute that gives you that right. So do you think the construction boom of 2021 helped contribute for this push? Um, well, the private provider statute has been on the books in Florida since 2002. It's undergone a number of revisions wow. um, over the years. Um, and what we've seen over the past few years is that uh, this statute is um, being revised to make and encourage the use of private providers. Um, so I, yeah, I, I, I can't speak to whether you know, the, bil- the boom that we've seen over the past few years has, has, has led to this, but it would certainly seem reasonable. Thank you. So what changes can owners or contractors expect regarding the issuance of certificates of occupancy or completion on projects that use a private provider? Um, well, that's, that's another thing that um, this building regulation bill addresses. And, that, um, and, and while we've had a number of changes that certainly seem to encourage the use of private providers, um, this change actually gives building officials more time to respond to a private provider's application for issuance of a certificate of occupancy. Uh, so at the end of any project, once the project um, has passed all of its inspections, uh, once all the permit fees have been paid, a private provider would normally go to the building department and say, we are ready to receive a certificate of occupancy. Um, that certificate of occupancy is a significant document from a owner-contractor standpoint because it typically will trigger things like the issuance of final payment and things of that nature. Um, What this law now allows for is the building official to have 10 business days for most commercial projects to issue a certificate of occupancy, whereas under the old law, the building official was obligated to issue certificates of occupancy on most commercial projects within two business days. now, that comes with um, an added uh, benefit, though, for the, cer- the certificate of occupancy process, because what the law now says is that if a building official fails to respond to a request for certificate of occupancy within 10 days, that certificate of occupancy request is deemed to be granted, and the building official or the building department must now automatically grant a certificate of occupancy 10 days later. And that was not the case in the previous law. That was not the case under the previous law. So we now have a longer period of time for building officials to respond to a request for building, or excuse me, for a certificate of occupancy, but we have these provisions now that that state they can be automatically granted under certain circumstances. So switching gears to a separate but related topic, can you discuss the legislative changes related to a building department's processing of permit applications? Yeah, so this was another change that uh, came about through the building regulation bill. Um, Before we talk about the changes, just a few important things to keep in mind. Um, Because we've just been talking about some of the changes regarding the use of private providers on construction projects. Um, What the Florida legislature did in the building regulation bill was uh, establish uh, shorter timeframes for a local building department to respond to a permit application. However, these time frames do not apply on projects where a private provider is involved. Uh, if you look at the pri- private provider statute, there are a whole set of timelines um, that, that relate to the, in those circumstances. So we're really talking about a si- situation where there's no private provider, 
the owner or the contractor goes to the building department and submits a building permit application. Uh, so this is before any work has begun. Um, the, the owner or contractor submits the permit application. Um, what the building regulation bill now provides is that the building department can only make three requests for additional information in response to a permit application in the absence of an agreement by the owner or the contractor. Um, this bill also provides time timelines and time deadlines uh, for which a building department has to respond to each of those three requests. So the, the owner or contractor submits the first application uh, for, for building permit. The, uh, let's assume that the building department has a request for additional information in response to the permit. Um, for that first request, if the owner provides the information within a 30-day period, the building department has to respond within 15 days, and they can take a few different actions. They can approve the permit application at that point. They can approve the permit application with conditions. They can deny the permit application, or they can again request more information, which would lead to the second request. And if you get to that second request and the owner, or the, owner or the contractor provides the information requested within 30 days, the building department then has 10 days to respond in the same fashion uh, as they did with the first request. Once you get to the third step, there can't be a request for more information until the building department offers an opportunity to sit down and meet with the owner or contractor to discuss the information that's needed to complete the permit application. After that meeting, they can make a request for more information, and if it's given, it has to be processed within 10 days. Um, and at that meeting, they either have to approve, at that, at that time, they either have to approve the permit they can deny it, they can deny it with conditions, or the owner can ask for a ruling on the permit and they can ask for the building department to state why it is the, uh, the building department is deeming the permit application to be legally insufficient. By legally insufficient, what local code, what building, um, building code requirement are they claiming that this permit application is not satisfying? So it helps to streamline the permit application process. Um, the other thing to keep in mind is that there is actually a remedy in place if a building department does not timely comply with these deadlines in that for each day of non-compliance, each business day of non-compliance, the permit application fee is reduced by 10%. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. So, so uh, permit fees go hand in hand with the application process. And it's my understanding that the legislator, legislature created a new statute that allows certain individuals or groups impacted by these fees to potentially sue a local government. Can you explain this new law? Yeah, so this is a, um, a totally new provision uh, of the statute. Um, what's not new in the statute is that uh, Chapter 553 uh, specifies or, or establishes the way that a local building department can use permit application fees and inspection fees. Generally speaking, a building department is supposed to use those fees to fund the enforcement of the building code. It's not supposed to use those fees to fund other uh, departments of the local government, such as a planning or zoning department, uh, that those departments operate separately from the building department. Uh, there are also certain restrictions under Florida law regarding uh, how much of a budget surplus a local building department can carry forward on an annual basis. Uh, typically, a local building department is not allowed to carry more than a year's budget surplus forward on, um, on an annual basis. There are some exceptions in a circumstance where a local building department has established an advisory board of construction industry stakeholders to oversee the use of excess funds. 
Um, so what the, what the new law provides is that for uh, owners or contractors or associated uh, groups of owners and contractors that are located within the state of Florida and have permits within the jurisdiction, they can bring a private cause of action to make sure that the local building departments are using these permit fees in accordance with the statute. So um, that's a fairly unique cause of action. Um, and you know it remains to be seen how it will be used. Um, obviously, owners and contractors that are working with local building departments want to ensure good relations with the, those those <laughs> the, those Only folks. Makes sense. <laughs> um, so it's you know question the wisdom of suing the people that are approving your permit applications <laughs> on a going forward basis. But it's there, and it's something to consider. It's something to consider if uh, folks are concerned about whether or not fees are being used appropriately at the local government level. So, Brett, I'd like to bring this back to a real-life example. And our listeners are familiar with the tragedy in Surfside when the Champlain Towers collapsed, which was a little over a year ago. What did the legislature do to address this condition? Um, So the legislature uh, did eventually take action during the 2022 legislative session. Uh, They convened a special session in May of 2022 that ultimately resulted in a a building safety bill going to Governor DeSantis for signing. Um, And the building safety bill in large part dealt with um, a large-scale revision uh, to various portions of uh, the Florida's condo law, Chapter 718, Florida Statutes. Um, But there are a number of provisions that will certainly impact the construction industry because of uh, some of the changes that relate to the developer turnover process. Uh, There's also a new requirement for what are being referred to as milestone inspection reports that are going to be made mandatory for condominiums three stories and higher throughout the state of Florida. Um, And ultimately, that's going to result in the need for design and construction services uh, for for these sorts of projects. So we we can sort of break those down if you'd like. Sure. For those of your listeners who are familiar with uh, condo construction projects, um, one of the one of the big items that takes place after a project is completed is the developer turnover, developer transition process. So the developer hires a contractor to build a condominium. The developer works to sell out units in that condominium. At some point in time, the individuals that purchase those units take control of the community association or the condominium association board. It's at that point in time that the developer is required by statute to hire an architect or engineer to put together what's known as a turnover study report. So that turnover study report is essentially um, an evaluation of all of the major building systems, structural, roof, um, all sorts of, all so, essentially every major building system so that when the condominium association takes over maintenance of the common elements, they have a report to say this is the condition of the building at the time that we took over. Um, one, of the, um, one of the biggest issues that I see in the, the building safety bill that came out as it relates to the commercial construction industry, particularly for those that are working on condo projects, Um, is the addition of waterproofing as an issue that has to be addressed in a developer turnover study. Um, So as a a construction litigator and as someone who's handled a number of uh, condominium construction defect disputes, 
Um, you know, the, the biggest issue that we're dealing with on these types of claims has to do with water intrusion or water infiltration. Especially in Florida. Right, through the building envelope. Um, and why does that happen? It happens for a number of reasons. Um, it happens during the design process because perhaps um, the architect has very limited waterproofing within its design scope. We'll oftentimes see architects hire a waterproofing consultant to come in and provide additional waterproofing details on top of um, the architectural plans and specifications. Um, sometimes that doesn't happen. Um, so when that doesn't happen, how is it accounted for in the field? You know, ultimately, that's something that's going to fall in the general contractor. Uh, and those are things that require careful coordination. So um, what we're going to now see is that on turnover studies, waterproofing is going to be an issue that has to be addressed. The other dynamic that we often see in construction litigation involving condominium buildings is that turnover study can oftentimes become the beginning of a Chapter 558 claim. Chapter 558 is Florida's pre-suit notice and opportunity to cure statute. Oftentimes what we'll see is a condominium association gets that turnover report from the developer and there are issues that the developer or the contractor can't address and that turns into a claim. So what we're going to have now are architects and engineers scrutinizing the waterproofing at the time of turnover. Um, so whether that results in more claims or less claims, it remains to be seen. Um, time will tell. Time will tell. Um, the other, the other big issue, uh, and this is maybe a little bit less relevant um, for the listeners, but the new law in general prohibits the waiver of statutory reserves, which is one of the big issues um, at, the, at the Champlain Towers collapse. Uh, we had large items of deferred maintenance and no revenues to fund them. Uh, so that, that, is, that is a thing of the past. Uh, there's, there's no more waiver of mandatory statutory reserves under this new building safety law. Um, and then the other thing that I mentioned was the, the milestone reports. So for any condominium that's three stories or higher, um, the, this new building safety law sets forth a number of deadlines uh, for which buildings have to have their structural systems inspected to determine whether there are any structural deficiencies and determine whether there are any conditions that could ultimately lead to a, a, a structural deficiency. So that's a great point. And how do you envision that will impact the needs of condo associations in regards to the design and construction services? So um, I, I, I listened to a, a presentation recently on this law from a number of condo lawyers, and they said that uh, we should be telling our sons and daughters to go into engineering uh, because there is going to be a high demand for architectural and engineering services. Um, going back to the milestone reports, uh, the way that's going to work is that there has to be uh, potentially a multi-phased approach. Um, there, there can be circumstances in which destructive testing will be required. Um, and ultimately, that's, that, those, those milestone reports are going to form the basis of plans and specifications for repair work on condominiums, major building systems, uh, whether it be roof systems, uh, concrete restoration and repair, the replacement of windows and doors, uh, the replacement of waterproofing, paint, sealants, balcony decks, all of those sorts of things that can contribute to the structural failure of a condominium building, particularly in Florida, and particularly condominiums that are close to the ocean and in a salty air environment. Um, so I think that there's going to be a lot of opportunity for design professionals to perform these services. Um, some design professionals, architects and engineers, tend to stay away from condo projects. 
Some contractors and subcontractors tend to stay away from condo projects, but the work is going to be there. So um, if perhaps you have not considered uh, providing services to condominiums, it, it's, it's going to be there in the future and it's something to consider. And there's a high likelihood we'll see a totally different subsect of contractors that specifically focus on these condo projects to fill that need for services and for work. And, and many of them are already there. Um, it, you know, based on my experience, um, having represented both associations, um, contractors, and subcontractors, we see a lot of the same engineering firms. We see a lot of the same contractors. We see a lot of the same subcontractors that are bidding these jobs. It doesn't mean that more people couldn't bid them. It just means that certain uh, certain companies have that's that's their market niche and that's their market segment. Brett, thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks a lot.